We'll hear argument now on number 90-1341, United States Department of Energy versus Ohio, and 90-1517, Ohio versus the United States Department of Energy. Mr. Feldman. Thank you, Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court. This, a case, this case arises from a suit by the State of Ohio against the United States Department of Energy uh, concerning the operation of uh, DOE's Fernald, Ohio, uranium processing plant. Now, all aspects of the case have been settled other than the State's claim for State and Federal civil penalties. Thus, as the case comes to this Court, the issue before the Court is solely whether civil penalties are available against the Federal Government under four specific provisions of the Clean Water Act and the Resource Conservation and Recovery Act, or RICRA. Now, it's our position that the provisions are most reasonably interpreted not to waive sovereign immunity as to civil penalties. But the issue in the case is not whether we can show that those provisions uh, mean what we say they do. The issue is, because this involves a waiver of sovereign immunity, whether the state can show that Congress clearly and unambiguously, in the language of these statutes, waived sovereign immunity from civil penalties. Now, that, <clears throat> that uh, is based on the well-settled rule that it is up to the state to prove to show that a waiver uh, exists, that any doubts concerning whether there's a waiver sh should be resolved against finding a waiver of sovereign immunity, and that a waiver of sovereign immunity must be clear and unambiguous. Congress was well aware of those principles at the time when the provisions at issue here were enacted. Indeed, the key provisions, which are the federal facilities provisions of the Clean Water Act and of RICRA, uh, were enacted within a year or so, after this Court's decisions in Hancock against Train and EPA against California, and uh, which specifically rested on the clear statement principle. Indeed, Congress must have been aware of that principle, and I think if you, we, if you look at the language of the statutes at issue, it's impossible to find a clear and unambiguous waiver under those standards. Now, if there were still any doubt, there are two features of the case that suggest that that clear statement rule has to be applied with particular rigor. First, uh, there's the long-settled uh, understanding that where an asserted waiver of sovereign immunity would upset a delicate, the delicate federal-state balance, and in particular where it subjects the federal government to regulation by states, it's particularly appropriate to apply the clear statement rule, and that, is, that would be the case here. Secondly, where an asserted waiver of sovereign immunity would have an effect on the federal fisc, and perhaps more important, where an asserted uh, waiver of sovereign immunity is penal in nature, Court has also applied the clear statement rule with particular rigor. Um, perhaps the case that's most closely on point is Missouri Pacific Railroad. Can I interrupt you, Mr. Feldman, because there is one sentence in the statute that does seem rather clear. It says, it's just the second half of it on page 58 of your opinion, uh, the United States shall be liable only for those civil penalties arising under federal law. Now, in any case, it, it must arise under federal law. But, but can you not, can that any way possibly be interpreted to say there's no case in the world in which the United States shall be liable for a civil penalty? Uh, yes. Um, that, your that, position there, that there is simply no case to which that language applies. Yeah, that language would apply to civil penalties, or it would apply to, to monetary sanctions, which could be called civil penalties, that are imposed as a result of the federal government's failure to comply with an injunction that was issued under the statute. But that language itself is not the language of waiver. It's a language of limitation. So we would submit that that language itself doesn't waive sovereign immunity. And if you look at the earlier language, earlier in the, in the same provision, um, I might refer to page 1A of the appendix of our brief where it's uh, reprinted, there are three categories of items as to which sovereign immunity is waived. 
Um, if you look on page 1A at, in about eight lines down, it's, uh, local, it's requirements. 1A of what, Mr. Of the appendix to our brief. <clears throat> this is the Federal Facilities Provision of the Clean Water Act, and there are three, uh, there are three categories of, of items waived. Requirements, administrative... It's the same section for which I just read. Yes, earlier in the same section. And it, it would, it's our understanding of the provision that the, the, the waiver is in the earlier part of that statute, and that waiver limits uh, financial penalties to those, that, to those sanctions that are imposed as a result of failure to, pay, uh, to comply with court process or injunctive relief. Why do you say the last sentence could not be construed as a waiver, at least as to civil penalties arising under federal law? The last sentence of what, Justice uh, The same section that we're looking at. Let me see. It's the um, section uh, 313 of the Clean Water Act. Oh, yeah, yeah, that uh, the sentence to which you're, you're referring is on 2A, if, if you're looking at the appendix to our brief. <clears throat> The, the, having, it would be our, it's our understanding where, where, of this. Where does the, the last sentence that is being referred to begin? Is it towards the bottom of 2A? It's not actually the last provision, the last no, sentence of, of the statute. It's, the, it's about the sixth, or maybe the one, two, three, four, about the ninth line down. On page 2A? On page 2A, it says, The United States shall be liable only for those okay. civil penalties arising under federal law or imposed by a state or local court Thank you. to enforce an order or the process of such court. <clears throat> Having already limited the kinds of uh, financial penalties that could be paid to those that are for, uh, for that arise from, uh, having already limited the waiver of immunity to process and sanctions. Well, I'm not sure there, that it does. This might extend the waiver to federal penalties. What are the federal penalties that are available? Is Section 1319 the only section? Uh, providing for federal penalties? Yes. And indeed, one of the problems with, uh, with reading this as itself being a waiver is that the only federal penalties available are under uh, Section 1319. Under Section 1319, civil penalties are available only against a person. And in turn, the term person is defined in the statute to exclude a whole variety of different entities, but does not include the federal government. And therefore... Well, then what, what does federal penalty refer to in this sentence we were just examining. Civil pe in this sentence, civil penalties refers back to those penalties that might be uh, imposed on the federal government for failure to obey an injunction. When a state finds that the federal government has not complied with a provision of the Clean Water Act, it is permitted to go into a court and to obtain, obtain an in injunction. But that's uh, already covered in the, later in the sentence. Later in the sentence we, uh, refers to state or local court to enforce there's two categories. There could be those actions brought in a federal court, in which case the penalties that would be assessed arise under federal law because they would be assessed for failure to obey a federal court injunction. Or imposed. That's what it says. It says liable only for those civil penalties arising under. Imposed by a state. It doesn't say imposed by a state court, state or local court. It, in. Uh, I'm not sure if you're reading from the same state or local court by state or local court, right? But it does seem odd that if they meant simply pay civil uh, contempt penalties imposed by a federal, state, or local court, they would word the sentence this way. They they talk about penalties arising under federal law, and you, you're saying that should be read as if it meant penalties imposed by federal courts for failing to obey an injunction. That is the only, those are the only kind of penalties that would otherwise be provided 
by the Act are the only other kind of penalties that could be assessed against the federal government. Well, unless you, say that, unless you say that this, uh, uh, because the state has a role in enforcing uh, a federal statute, that uh, <clears throat> if the state has authority to, uh, to regulate uh, a federal agency, which I take it it does, Yes. Under the Clean Water Act? Yes. Uh, are they in, is the state enforcing a federal law there? No. Uh, well, no. The state is enforcing its own law. Under the Clean Water Act, mm-hmm. the structure of the statute... Well, I know, but, it's, uh, but it arises under the Clean Water Act, doesn't it? I mean, it's, except for the Clean Water Act, the state wouldn't be doing what it's doing. And it certainly wouldn't have the authority to, uh, to regulate an a, uh, agency. I don't, I'm not sure that that's right, although that issue isn't presented by this case. The clean water, the, the, the waiver, this provision of 1323 waives federal immunity from, uh, if you look at the prior page, from state and local uh, administrative authority, from requirements, which we would understand to be the re- pre-litigation requirements, those things that the federal government must do to comply with the Act, uh, and, and so on. And the, the fact, the state statutes, for instance, the state civil penalty statute at issue in this case, was effective upon enactment by the state legislature and was effective against the federal government, uh, regardless of whether it received EPA approval or not. The effect of having received EPA approval is simply that this federal uh, program, uh, regulatory program, is supplanted, and an entity who's in the state of Ohio doesn't have to go both to EPA to obtain a permit and to the state administrative agency to obtain a permit. Well, maybe maybe when Congress wrote this, uh, the first half of the sentence, they just didn't didn't uh, didn't advert to whether there were any civil penalties arising under federal law, or they thought they might enact some in the future. Yes, and they were willing to have the federal government uh, uh, liable for any penalties arising under federal law, but that doesn't mean that they were willing to have have the federal government liable for any penalties arising under state law. Yes, and these are state statutes here that we're talking about, right? Yes, state penalties. Yes. There's nothing in this sentence that says that they shall be liable for uh, penalties under state law. That's right. That's right. And, and I mean, exactly. The, when I say that that arising under federal law provision applies only to, uh, as things stand right now, it applies only to the only kind of federal penalties that would be available would be for failing to obey a federal court injunction. That doesn't mean that there couldn't be other federal penalties at some point in the future. The Congress thought that there were other federal penalties. Or that penalties the Congress might have thought there, there were some others and, and didn't want to search the statute books to make sure there weren't and said if there are any, if there are any, we're perfectly willing to make the federal government liable for them. But that doesn't mean we're, we're willing to make the federal government liable to whatever the states want to do to it. Yes. That, I, but, but uh, Mr. Feldman, there are some penalties that arise under federal law. Are there not? The 1319D describes a set of penalties that arise under federal law. Right, but those penalties are applicable only against a person. Well, the term person is a defined uh, term in the statute that excludes uh, the United States. Well, it's also defined to include the United States in another provision. Right. Well, if the, in the uh, citizen suit provision, it expressly includes the United States. I, I don't think it's... I the United States is a person. I wouldn't say it's defined. The term persons is otherwise defined in the citizen supervision. If you, that provision is reprinted at 3A, if, if, if you want Yes, it says it may bring a suit against any person, paren, including one, the United States, and two, any other government agent. That surely includes the United States within the concept of person in that section. Right, and for purposes of citizen suits, the United States... This is a citizen suit. Right, and the United States is subject to a citizen suit generally. Right. If you follow that... And there is another provision of the statute describes penalties that may be awarded that arise under federal law. Why isn't that an appropriate remedy under this case? I don't understand. <laughs> I mean, maybe I'm just, oh. okay, because the citizen suit provision 
generally uh, makes citizens makes the United States amenable to suits uh, by citizens like other entities under the under the Clean Water Act. It doesn't generally change, though, the types of relief that are available otherwise under the Act or have any other effect on the United States' obligations under the, the, the Act, other than that they can be enforced. At the and they can be subject to appropriate penalties. Right, to appro- appropriate penalties. Now, and an appropriate penalty is one arising under federal law, according to this earlier section, and we've got a federal statute describing penalties arising under federal law. I don't know what, what, which piece is missing. The piece that's missing is that, that uh, I guess I would submit, is that the appropriate, appropriate civil penalties – Civil penalties are never appropriate this, the, if against you look at the, the United States unless they arise under federal law. They, they say to apply appropriate civil penalties under Section 1319D of this title. I read that to refer back to 1319D to find out what civil penalties are appropriate. Now, that one thing that should be remembered is that phrase applies to any citizen suit against any entity under the Clean Water Act, not just the United States. It would be an odd way to waive sovereign immunity to waive it in a sentence that applies to any kind of citizen suit and indeed, if you look at that whole uh, paragraph, what it really refers to is that any kind of relief that's ordinarily available under the uh, Clean Water Act is available against you know, whatever is available otherwise is available in a citizen no, suit. No, the state of Ohio couldn't pass a statute saying the penalty should be a million dollars a day. That would not be permissible. Uh, against the United States, are you right. That's right. Because that would not arise under federal law. But That's this limits, right. in other words, this clearly limits it to those that are st- uh, described in 1319D. That's right. I don't know how you can say those in 1319D don't arise under federal law. It's not a question of whether they, I guess there would, I, I, there's really two parts to my answer to that. This, the provision which says the United States shall be liable only for those civil penalties that arise under federal law, that is limiting a, the waiver. It's not extending the waiver. It's not saying the United States shall be liable for penalties that arise under federal law. It says it the says United in States. so many words, shall be liable. It also has the word only in it, but it says shall be liable for those penalties. Right, and I would read, because it has the word only, I would read that as a language of limitation rather than extension. And then if. 1919D, it, 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 it isn't in your appendix? It's not in the appendix. It's somewhere Actually, around here? It is, uh, <clears throat> let's see, uh, maybe I got it here, wait a minute. I can't put, uh, well, never mind, don't, uh, I thought it was handy if so. It's okay. But, um, in any event, uh, 1319D is, is a relatively – it's a one-paragraph provision that just says any person who violates a uh, provision of this statute. And where, where is person defined to exclude the United States, as you say? That is – that, I can tell you, is on uh, – if you look at our brief on page uh, 6, it's the continuation of note 4. It actually goes from 5 to 6. That's in 1362.5. It says the term person means an individual, corporation, partnership, association, lists a number of entities, and does not include the United States. Well, yes, but 1365 uh, says it does. Any person, including the United States. Right. And uh, we would read that to include the United States as a person for purposes of citizen suits, so that citizen suits generally may be brought against the United States, but not to alter the general definition of person for other provisions of the statute. And if, if you read 1365... The, int- the intent of the language appears to, uh, appears to us to be that they didn't want to alter the ordinary remedial scheme of the statute here. That ordinary remedial well, scheme. Well, the last, uh, the last, uh, the last couple of lines of 1365 uh, 
Where, where are you reading from? In 3A. 3A, okay. Uh, yeah, 1365. The last That's right. And that, and that would be against the United States. Well, that, that would... I, I read that language to mean that when you have a citizen suit... Appropriate is the, right. is the, is the key word, right? Right. What, whatever penalties are appropriate in a citizen suit uh, may be applied by the court. Injunctive relief is appropriate against the United States uh, under the waiver in 1323, and therefore... But because, uh, because person uh, doesn't include the United States uh, uh, under the general definition of a person, it wouldn't be appropriate to... Is that it? That's right. Just as it wouldn't be appropriate to apply uh, a civil penalty against an uh, well for situations that are not otherwise covered by the civil penalty provision. Mr. Feldman, let me just point this out. This talks about relief against the administrator as defined in 1319D. By hypothesis, the administrator could not be a defendant in 1319D because that's the penalties that he may obtain in litigation. 1319 are enforcement actions by the administrator. That's right. So if you refer to that for the general citizen suit provision, you can't just ex you can't say they can do this in suits against the administrator and then say it's got to be an appropriate penalty in a suit brought by the administrator, is what you're arguing. Um, because 1319 deals with litigation initiated by the, by the administrator. So by hypothesis, the administrator could not be a defendant in a 1319D suit. That's right. Now, how can you then say that when they refer to the administrator in this provision, they're excluding, uh, they're excluding cases in which uh, the United States, because they, by hypothesis here, he's a defendant in this right. case. I think uh, possibly the, uh, the answer to that is if you look at 1365A2, right above that provision, one of the kinds of citizen suits that you can bring is against the administrator, right. where the administrator and an appropriate is... remedy for that suit is found in 1319D, according right. to that very but, suit. For instance, no one's argued that you could obtain a civil penalty against the administrator by virtue of that reference to 1319D. In other words, where the suit is brought against the administrator, all of this provision is doing, in the citizen suit provision, is preserving whatever remedies are otherwise applicable in citizen suits. So, for instance, where it, the action is brought against the administrator, the court may order uh, the administrator to perform such act or duty as the case may be. Uh, where the uh, suit is brought against a private party, uh, the, the court may enforce an effluent standard or apply any appropriate civil penalties. Mm. Similarly, where the action is against the United States, the court may also enforce an effluent standard or apply any appropriate civil penalties. But in the case of the United States, there are no appropriate civil penalties because civil penalties are not Appropriate. In each case, they didn't want to alter the, the, the remedial scheme of the statute otherwise by this uh, last paragraph of the citizen suit provision. They just wanted to refer all questions to be resolved in accordance with that, with that provision. And it would be our submission that under that provision, uh, the term person is defined in accordance with the general definition and excludes the United States. <clears throat> um, the... the I think the case, actually, uh, the case that's most close to, that's closest to this, uh, and and both with respect to this. There's no, clay, no case close to this. <laughs> Perhaps in the complexity of the statutes, this may 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 go do one better to some of the others. But um, in the Alt case, for instance, the operative language of waiver the, was in the, the United case? States. The, in Missouri Pacific against Alt. Alt. Yeah, uh, it was a case that arose during the federalization of the railroads uh, during World War One. 
And Congress had passed a statute providing that the federalized rail carriers are subject to, I think, I think the quote is, all laws and liabilities as common carriers, which is a very broad waiver provision, I think arguably broader than any of the waiver provisions that you find here, at least, that you find here in the earlier part of 1323, at least. Um, <clears throat> the Court held that although that provision subjecting the United States to all laws and liabilities did subject the United States to compensatory remedies, it did not extend to penal measures. Congress, a particularly clear statement is required before a waiver of sovereign immunity should extend to penal measures. In 1323, I, I think you don't find such a clear waiver in any of the positive, uh, in any of the positive terms of the statute that purport to be a waiver, neither the term requirements nor administrative authority uh, nor process and sanctions. Uh, for the reasons I said before, I think process and sanctions is coupled as a single term grammatically uh, in the statute and also structurally where it's listed under A, B. But isn't it true that the word sanction quite frequently is used to refer to the kind of penalties that are described in 1319D? Yes, I, I think sanctions could be referred to, uh, sanctions could be used to refer to penalties. However, in this particular provision, I think because it's coupled with process, they, there was not a list of four items, requirements, administrative authority, process, comma, and sanctions, but rather requirements, administrative authority, comma, and process and sanctions. And that's reinforced by the following provision, which lists each of those three things, A, B, C. What Congress had in mind was sanctions that are necessary to enforce uh, compliance with the court's process. And that would include injunctive relief, sanctions uh, to enforce injunctive relief, but would not include civil penalties. At the very least, that creates enough of an ambiguity, or it couldn't be said that that term process and sanctions unambiguously waives sovereign immunity. And that's what the state would have to uh, show here. It's wonderful to know that Congress can draft with such subtlety. That is really a very subtle point. It's not sanctions used alone, but it's sanctions with process and sanctions. Especially when uh, Congress, I thought Congress got a little upset uh, about some decisions and wanted to, uh, <clears throat> wanted to make sure the United States uh, got hooked uh, to uh, obey the law. That these statutes were rewritten, to, were amended to some extent. Yes, to do that, to do that. And yet they were so subtle about it that, they, about that uh, the United States isn't liable at all. With due respect, I think that they did exactly what they intended to do, which is they subjected the United States to the full range of administrative authority of states, of the state's substantive requirements, of permit requirements, of reporting requirements. And those were the things that Congress had on its mind as a result of the Court's decisions in Hancock against Train and EPA against California. But I think what Congress didn't do was go farther and give any positive consideration to or decide that they wanted to subject uh, the federal government to civil penalties. Uh, that, that's, I, don't, I, I, the, I don't see that in the language of the statute or in what they did, and certainly they didn't unambiguously do that. And indeed, they, knew, they should have known as a result of uh, Hancock and EPA against California that an unambiguous waiver is what was required. Mr. Feldman, before you leave 1365, if it's possible to leave it, um, my, my understanding is that these fines are paid to the United States government under this section? That's right. Is that, does that present a case or controversy for federal courts to sit and allocate money from one federal account to another? I think that, there would certainly be a case or controversy as between the state of Ohio, for instance, and the federal government. Uh, here, because they're asserting that... that uh, as to the enforcement, perhaps. As to the enforcement. But if, just as to the penalty part. Uh, Even as, it, to, it, as to the penalties, to some extent, it might be questioned whether there is, and indeed, I think the, the strangeness of having that kind of procedure where 
uh, uh, money is coming from one pocket of the federal treasury and going into another. Indeed, it may be coming from the same pocket and going right back into that same pocket. The strangeness of that proceeding is one reason why Congress may not have provided for civil penalties here, or at least would have wanted to think twice before doing so. And, uh, and uh, I think a clear indication that they wanted to uh, should be found before uh, before they... Uh, I'm not sure if there are cases where there's a case of controversy as to part of the relief, but not as to the other part of the relief. But it, it seems to me that it's quite questionable here that there is a case of controversy as to the... Uh, Fine that's being paid from one part of the federal treasury to the other. I agree that it would be. I agree that it would be questionable. And again, I think that's another reason not to uh, assume that Congress would have intended something that both is questionable, perhaps from a standing point of view, uh, and that would apparently be a rather futile uh, gesture. Uh, I'm, we have cases captioned United States versus Interstate Commerce Commission. I mean, I'm, we, we've had the federal government suing itself up here before. I believe. I believe we do. I, I yeah. certainly think that whenever the executive. Right, but we've, we've done it. Right. Uh, there are such cases. Whenever one branch, one part of the executive branch, though, is on, whenever the executive branch is on both sides of the case, it certainly raises a question about, uh, case, or, about case or controversy. Uh, I'd like, if there are no further questions right now, I'd like to reserve the balance of my time. Very well, Mr. Feldman. Uh, Mr. Van Clay, we'll hear from you. Thank you, Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court. We believe this case turns on three words scattered over the course of four statutory sections. We would like to very briefly spend a little bit of time uh, beginning with the citizen suit provisions, which, of course, uh, turns on the word person. Please, if you're going to read anything from the statute, please tell us where, where you are where going to read from. All right, Your Honor. The, um, the particular statutory term that I'm referring to is found in the citizen suit provisions, which is the same provision that we have been discussing with Mr. Feldman. 1365. Yes, Your Honor. On 3A of the brief of the petitioner. That's, that's correct, Your Honor. Uh, the, the same operative language also appears in RICRA's citizen suit provision which is 42 U.S.C. 6961. And that would also be in the appendix to the petition. Well, actually, actually, I think that um, we're better off looking at the Department of Energy cross-petition on that one because I think there was an error in the, in the printing on that particular one. So um, I believe the cross-petition or, no, it's, it's, it's this one. Right. Uh, it, I'm sorry, I, I misstated, Your Honor. It's, it's, uh, it's 42 U.S.C. 6972. Right. That, that's on 5A of the, of the government's uh, brief. Okay. It's on their brief. Correct. Yes. It was, yeah. yeah, it's correct in their brief. Yes. So those are the two provisions that I'd like to dwell on just briefly here. Um, I, I think we have to go back to the, the discussion that um, – Mr. Feldman and Justice Stevens had at the beginning of that uh, dialogue concerning the um, phrase arising under federal law and uh, how that relates to the definition of person in the citizen suit provision. Under the department's interpretation, not only can citizens not file a suit for civil penalties against the federal government, but even EPA could not file a lawsuit 
for civil penalties against the federal government, which means that no one can file a civil penalty action against the federal government under federal law under the department's interpretation. And that negates the operation, according to the department, of the phrase civil penalties arising under federal law. Now, civil penalties... Do you agree that the only penalties provided in federal law right now are those in 1319? Um, yes, Your Honor. Yes, Your Honor. Uh, it would be 1319 incorporated by reference into the citizen supervision. That's best correct. But 1319 contemplates that those are, are uh, penalties that can be sought by uh, a suit brought by EPA, by the administrator? Yes, Your Honor, and also by a citizen. Uh, in fact, if an ordinary citizen other than a state were to file under the citizen supervision, that, that citizen would also be applying the uh, standards in 1319. And it, it's incorporated into reference, by reference, into the citizen supervision, and that's where all citizen suits draw their penalty provisions from. So, uh, by the operation of that citizen supervision, the civil penalties against the United States are not limited to um, uh, 1319 as enforced by the administrator. Uh, we, we would also notice, note that. Excuse me. Uh, your, your contention is that this provision waives that immunity on the part of the federal government, although it does not on the part of the state governments? Uh, no, Your Honor. It, I mean, it doesn't eliminate the state government's 11th Amendment immunity. I mean, that's what it says. It says, to the ex any other governmental instrumentality or agency to the extent permitted by the 11th Amendment to the Constitution. So mm -hmm. I, I gather that means that you can't, you can't get any penalty out of the state treasury. Mm, no, Your Honor, I would not agree with that. Warrant. No, I would not agree with that. The states can be sued. Um, what, I don't understand what that exception means. Then, any other government instrumentality or agency, to the extent permitted, to the extent permitted by the Eleventh Amendment to the Constitution, I thought that means to leave in their state sovereign immunity. No, no in fact, Your Honor, the, the court recently decided another case um, in the Superfund area where it interpreted exactly that type of phrase and decided that um, the Eleventh immunity was waived. That was the um, uh, Union Gas case, Your Honor. Um, so it does waive sovereign immunity for states as well as the federal government. Well, then what is the reason for putting in the reference to the 11th Amendment there? Um, well, it still well, had to be decided. Let, let, let him answer yeah. the question. Um, I, I'm not really sure, Your Honor, to tell you the truth. Does so, this like, really strike you as a model of clarity? <laughs> <laughs> well, the whole thing. I mean, the, the, the rule is that to waive the sovereign immunity of the United States, you must have a clear statement and it must be unambiguous. And, and here we are just wrestling with very uh, vague and often self-contradictory terms. Well, Your Honor, we do not believe that this is ambiguous, and we do not believe they're self-contradictory either. Um, we, we think that, that anyone can think of arguments to propose a secondary definition of any statutory term if a person uh, cre uh, creates enough ambiguity by exercising ingenuity. And there are many cases of the court where people have tried to stretch the meaning of words. But if we look at the normal meaning of these words, it is not ambiguous. Well, could, could you sum up, perhaps in two or three sentences, 
exactly how you reason your way through to the conclusion that this yes, is perfectly clear? Yes, Your Honor. The sovereign immunity of the United States is waived with respect to all sanctions. Sanctions would include civil penalties under the normal meaning of that word. In fact, even this Court, uh, in some of the cases we cited in our brief, has used the word sanctions to refer to civil penalties and criminal penalties and other types of penalties. There is a limitation sentence below that, which is the arising under clause, which limits those sanctions to those civil penalties arising under federal law. And that, that is simply the, uh, the way the statute works, Your Honor. Um, now, civil penalties ordinarily is not a term used to describe contempt sanctions. In fact, Congress has been using the phrase sanctions to enforce injunctive relief in these waivers to express their desire to waive immunity for contempt sanctions. Well, you're relying on the provisions of 1323, the Federal Facilities Pollution Control Statute, for the waiver of sovereign immunity. Your Honor, that is true with respect to the, the civil penalties assessed pursuant to the state program. We rely solely on 1323. With regard to the citizen suit penalties, we rely both on 1323 and the citizen suit provision. And, and, but under the citizen suit provision, do you, do you rely on that to give authority for waiver of federal sovereign immunity for civil sanctions? imposed by state law? We believe that the, the specific waiver in the citizen supervision is enough. However, there is also another provision of waiver in 1323, which works just as well with respect to the Clean Water Act. Well, if we thought 1323 did not waive federal sovereign immunity for state law sanctions, where would that leave us? That would leave us with the citizen suit provisions under federal law. Uh, if, if the court decided that particular, um, in that particular fashion, the state of Ohio would not be able to enforce its civil penalties under its uh, implementation of the federal program. But the suit nevertheless uh, covers federal sanctions as well? Yes, Your Honor. But the Sixth Circuit didn't deal with that? It did with respect to the RICRA citizen suit provision, but not, but not 1365. Correct, Your Honor. It did not deal with that section at all. That's correct. It did not need to reach that section because the stipulation of penalty provides that the penalty payments will be made under state law if the court finds a state law waiver and goes to the federal citizen suit penalties only if the court fails to find a waiver under state law. So. Uh, as a result, the Sixth Circuit did not need to reach the citizen suit issue with respect to the Clean Water Act. Now, I, do you agree, Mr. Van Clay, that penalties under, is it under 1365, the citizen suits are paid to the United States? Yes, Your Honor, we do agree. Then doesn't it seem odd that the United States would be sued and its penalty would be paid to the United States? No, Your Honor. The, the main purpose of a civil penalty is its deterrent effect. The deterrent effect from such a penalty comes from twofold. First of all, under some types of actions, the money would be taken out of the DOE accounts, out of the DOE funds, and paid to another account that DOE cannot draw on. In other words, DOE uh, loses the use of the money it has strived so carefully to get from Congress. Secondly, the, perhaps the most important deterrent from a civil penalty 
is the public stigma, if you will, that is attached to paying a penalty for violating the law. And in fact, with respect to federal agencies, that is the most effective deterrent. Uh, a federal agency does not want to draw the attention of Congress and the public to it. And uh, basically, is there any indication uh, that Congress realized that it was imposing sanctions on the United States, which would be paid to the United States? No, there is no indication either in the statute or the legislative history in which Congress uh, discussed where the money is going to go. Mr. Van Clee, uh, you know, if, if the main point is the embarrassment of the federal agency, I'm, I'm really not sure that most of the administrators I know are, are terribly embarrassable people, but, but if that is the big problem, uh, that can be done without paying any money. I mean, just, just, the, just the entry, there's, the government concedes that they're suable and that an order can be entered saying, you have broken the law, stop breaking the law. Now, that, that demonstrates the agency's been breaking the law. Why isn't that embarrassment enough? Well, Justice You think it adds to that to say, moreover, you're going to have to switch money from one account to another that, just to embarrass you? I don't think that's going to make any difference at all. Oh, it does, Your Honor. It makes a dramatic difference. From the standpoint of embarrassment? From the standpoint of the stigma of being penalized. It does indeed make a very big difference um, because the fact that they've paid this penalty calls Congress's attention, including in the appropriation process, where they might have to refund the money drawn by that penalty or refund the money drawn from the judgment fund. Uh, that very definitely calls attention to the public agency, from, to the federal agency by the public and by Congress. Uh, in fact, Your Honor, we have had cases where federal agencies have been willing to pay us money simply if they don't call it a civil penalty because of the embarrassment factor. Um, and, and in fact, Your Honor, we also have to go back to Congress's statements about civil penalties in the 1972 Clean Water Act, where Congress acknowledged that although injunctive relief was available, the act was not working in part because there were no penalties for noncompliance. And in light of that overriding purpose from Congress, even Congress realized that injunctive relief alone was not adequate to do the job. And that is true with federal agencies as well. Mr. Van Clay, I understood you to say a moment ago that the term civil penalties is not normally used to include uh, contempt sanctions and so on. Isn't that, however, exactly the sense in which it's used in 1323? Um, because the, the phrase that we're concerned with here, the United States shall be liable only for those civil penalties arising under federal law or imposed by a state or federal court to enforce an order uh, of the process of such court. Uh, uh, clearly, when they speak of civil penalty, they are including uh, a contempt sanction within that term uh, as used here. Isn't that, isn't that correct? They are including only contempt sanctions for state and local courts in that particular section. There are other contempt sanctions. That's, that's that the section I understood you to be relying on a moment ago. Um, not with respect to contempt sanctions under federal law, Your Honor. The contempt sanctions under federal law... No, but I, maybe I misunderstood your argument. I thought your argument was, in effect... Uh, that civil penalties uh, for which the United States would be liable would, would, is a term that simply would not normally be used to refer to a contempt sanction, and hence it was more probable that it referred to something other than a contempt sanction. And my only point is here, uh, as the term is used here, it clearly does include a contempt sanction if it's imposed by a state court. 
and therefore we have to say that the term as used here does include contempt sanctions, which therefore weakens your argument that it must refer to something else when it's referring to a civil penalty paid by the U.S. Isn't that a fair response to what you said? No, Your Honor. The, um, the, the sanctions that are in the latter half of the sentence, which you've been uh, referring to, well, you're entirely, I, I, I apologize for interrupting you. You're entirely right about half the sentence. Mm-hmm. But the term is, is used uh, in, in both the earlier reference and the later reference. And my only point is the term has to include, uh, as it is used there, a contempt sanction. And that is correct, isn't it? Uh, no, Your Honor, it is not correct. The, the words used there do not include federal contempt sanctions. Those well, are covered by the earlier part of the section, however. Then uh, are, you, are you, in effect, saying... <laughs> Uh, that the term civil penalties is not also modified, is not modified, not only by, start that again, are you saying that the term civil penalties is modified uh, 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 by arising under federal law, but is not modified by, imposed by a state or local court to enforce an order? That's correct. That's a very strange reading. That's a very strange reading of that sentence. Well, what, what, what is the alternative meaning? Uh, the, well, the way the sentence is structured, Your Honor, there is no alternative meaning. There is no alternative meaning? Uh, no. The, oh. could, could you then have simply excised from the sentence the phrase uh, arising under federal law and simply say the United States shall be liable only for those... Straight that. The United States shall be liable only for... <laughs> imposed by a state or local court, that's the implication of what you're saying. And that would make no sense at all. No, no, Your Honor. Perhaps it's got I to be, it's got to refer to, to both of those, or the, both of those modifiers has got to refer to, refer to penalties. Uh, no, Your Honor. The, the way the sentence is structured, it states first that the federal government is subject to all civil penalties rising under federal law. And then it also says... Well, it, it doesn't say that. Uh, you, uh, you're, you're, it says the United States shall be liable only for those penalties arising under federal law. Correct, Your Honor. Well, that, that is not what you said. Okay, I, I misstated it, Your Honor. Continue um, with your answer yes. to Justice Souter. Thank you, Your Honor. Um, the, the second part of the sentence, uh, paraphrased, means the federal government shall be liable for sanctions imposed by state and local court. And those sanctions are described, are denominated civil penalties. Uh, no, Your Honor, they are not. Because it, they are denoted sanctions. We'll, we'll sanctions. have to agree to disagree. I seem to insist on finding the need for a noun somewhere, and, and you, you don't. <laughs> the, the noun, Your Honor, is, is the word... That just doesn't make any sense. It's not worth it. You should not... You should not uh, The, um, the, the, the sentence that we've been describing, I think, uh, can be, can be um, explained as to its intent by looking at the, the, how the state programs, the state civil penalty programs work. Um, we've, we've developed in our brief that um, state law programs operate in lieu of and on behalf of the federal government with respect to the civil penalties that are assessed under those programs. Um, Notably, the United States EPA refers to enforcement mechanisms such as civil penalties as the requirements of state programs, but it does not refer to state contempt sanctions as part of that program. 
So that is why it was necessary in the second part of that sentence to separately refer to the state and local court contempt sanctions. One thing that has to be emphasized with respect to the state law programs is that EPA has basically been told to keep its hands off of enforcement as long as the state is implementing its approved program. In fact, US EPA has to give 30 days notice before the state and allow the state to enforce, take advantage of the situation and try to enforce first before the um, federal government can even act. And the, the uh, Congress has made it very clear that US EPA's enforcement actions to get civil penalties and other enforcement are to be the unusual exception that the states are primarily entrusted with a function of enforcing this statute. Therefore, it, it doesn't make much sense to try to um, limit the statement made in this section to only those civil penalties that have been assessed pursuant to the citizen suit provision. There will be very little enforcement at all um, if, if that occurs. Uh, and in fact, if the state does not enforce, that is grounds for US EPA to revoke its program. So the option is not even left open for the state to allow EPA to take all the enforcement against the many federal facilities that exist in this country. The, the way the Congress has set this statute up precludes that interpretation. Well, are you, are you saying then that, uh, that uh, sanctions uh, assessed uh, under state law really should be treated as arising under federal law? If they are part of a federally approved program that, that acts in lieu of U.S. EPA's program, that is the case, Your Honor. Yes. So, uh, so you wouldn't just be looking to one of these sections that we've just been looking at. You would look at state law. It is, it is state law that implements yes. the federal program. That, that is the case, Your Honor. Um, and a sanction imposed uh, by a state law that's implementing the federal act or the, implementing the, the program that's been approved, that would arise under federal law? That's correct, Your Honor. Yes. The, uh, the phrase arising under, taken its normal textual meaning, refers to originate or spring out of, result from, and even though, though these, um, even, even though these penalties have been enacted in the state law, that state law is passed directly as a response to the Federal um, Clean Water Act to implement that program in response to that Federal Clean Water Act. I guess then that all of those suits uh, uh, to recover those state penalties can be brought in federal court because they arise under the laws of the United States. That depends on how far this court goes with respect to its decision, Your Honor. I mean, that's thinkable. That is thinkable only if the court draws on 1331 case law for its decision. As we stated in our brief, um, even th this court in the Verlinden case, for example, has acknowledged that the, uh, the phrase arising under means different things in different statutes, depending on the purpose and intent of that statute. Uh, for example, the arising under clause in Article 3 of the Constitution has been interpreted differently than the 1331 arising under clause. Yes, but neither of those refers to penalties arising under. 
This exactly. is not the cause of action arising under. Exactly right, Your Honor. Thus, yes, the I understand your, what you're saying is the penalties, penalties, even though described in an Ohio statute, uh, arise under federal law because the statute was enacted pursuant to the federal programs been approved by the administrator. Right, Your Honor. The, the, and if that's true, I don't know how you answer Justice Scalia, because then it seems to me all, any suit under the state program arises under federal law. Uh, no, Your Honor. The, the court has to look at the different purpose of the arising under clause in the Clean Water Act. That doesn't necessarily mean that it has to be interpreted well, the in the same here, fashion. As your opponent has rather forcefully argued, is to limit the, the liability of the United States is liable only for those civil penalties. Yes, Your Honor. And, and so it's rather strange to say you will limit these, but, but if we prove it under, well, anyway, under a state program, it it's, uh, still arises under federal law. That, that's certainly not a natural reading of that phrase. No, Your Honor, the Department of Energy tries to use case law from 1331 by analogy to interpret the arising under clause. Well, I don't, I'm water. not even looking at any cases. I'm just like my colleagues on the right here. I just agree. I mean, just look at this language. It seems to me that when you talk about arising under federal law, that's a rather odd way to say arising under state laws that have been enacted pursuant to a federal program or approved by a federal agency, which is what, what your reading is. But you, you, you rely entirely on this argument. You don't rely on the citizen supervision. Is that right? No, we rely on the citizen supervision for federal law, for federal penalties. It's just you get a different scale of penalties. Is that the reason for the difference? No, the, the difference is simply, simply alternative forms of relief. You, uh, you think you're entitled uh, to collect uh, this money on several different independent grounds, I gather. That's correct, Your Honor. Several independent grounds in the alternative. Uh, in fact, we, the stipulation of settlement um, uh, did not assess penalties under the federal law unless we could not get them under state law. So we did not try to collect twice. But may I just clear one thing? There are two rather separate theories under the Clean Water Act. One is the one you've argued almost entirely. And the second is the citizen suit theory that I debated with your opponent. Is there a difference in the outcome of the litigation depending on which theory one might buy? Yes. There, the only difference, Your Honor, is where the money goes, whether the money goes to the state treasury or the federal I see. Treasury. So that's why you're not arguing the citizen suit provision very vigorously. Um, there's two reasons. That's one reason, um, because we think the deterrence is more effective if the money goes to state law. And you don't get the court. money. <laughs> no. um, well, Your Honor, um, actually, uh, there, there's a lot easier ways to earn $250,000 than to file a suit like this. Um, we definitely do not bring these suits as fundraising mechanisms. Um, no, but I understand now why you've concentrated <laughs> your argument on this rather than the other. Yeah, and the second reason, if one looks at plain language, you get a much stronger <laughs> argument on the other. I don't know whether you're right or not, but, mm. but surely the waiver is much more clear in the citizen suit. Well, I thought uh, I thought maybe you wanted to enforce this law and uh, and sue uh, under the citizen suit provision and recover those federal penalties because then you're going to punish the agency by taking their money away and giving it to somebody else in the federal government. Mm-hmm. Either way, Your Honor, it is punishment. We think the punishment is greater under state law, frankly, but uh, we believe there is punishment both ways. And uh, certainly, certainly we believe that's a laudable purpose, and, and in fact, deterrent is the only way to enforce these statutes, the only way these statutes are going to work. State penalties are higher, too, aren't they? Or, uh, no, they're lower, Your Honor. Pardon? They're lower. They're lower. Yes. It could be higher, I suppose. They could be higher as long as they are consistent with federal law, because U.S. EPA approves those penalties. Uh, and in fact, that's one more reason why 
we believe that they do arise under federal law is because they are part of a program which US EPA has labeled requirements of the state enforcement programs and they are approved as part of the program and they operate in lieu of federal law. And as I mentioned before, um, given the fact that US EPA is not supposed to be enforcing this statute unless the state falls down, um, it is much more likely that the federal government wanted the state to take the lead against the federal agencies. Um, I would like to just briefly um, and quickly distinguish the 1331 case law, although as, as I mentioned before, we do not rely on this case law. We, we believe that 1331 arising under case law should not even be used to interpret arising under in the Clean Water Act because of the different purposes of those statutes. However, under the machinist case, um, the Department of Energy has made the argument that it is state law um, that in our case, it is state law that is providing the penalties and therefore, even under 1331, it can't arise under federal law. Well, Machinist tells us differently because in that case, it was a private contract implementing the purposes of federal law that was deemed to be arising under federal law. So the, the fact that the penalty actually is passed as a state law does not, even under federal question jurisdiction, detract from the fact that it arises under federal law. Um, just one quick point about the administrator being sued under the, uh, um, the Clean Water Act citizen suit provisions that I'd like to respond to. The administrator can be sued under that section if, for example, an EPA building would pollute the environment. And it does make sense in the light of the fact that EPA, indeed, can be a federal agency violating the law just like any other agency. Um, EPA has to obey the law as well. With respect to the ALT case, um, we believe that the case is dramatically different than the one here. Although the waiver in the statutory text was extremely broad in that case, the statutory text allowed the president to pass an order, enact an order, which limited the scope of that general waiver. And that's exactly what happened in that case. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Van Clay. Uh, Mr. Feldman, you have four minutes remaining. Thank you, Mr. Chief Justice. I, I'd just like to make two points, uh, one specific and one more general. <clears throat> the specific point is, as to the arising under federal law uh, clause that I discussed earlier, um, I, th I think it should be kept in mind that that provision was added by a conference committee. It wasn't in either the Senate or House versions of the bill when it was first enacted. The legislative history you can find in our brief. There's no legislative history or no commentary on what that provision might have meant or what the uh, conferees thought it meant. Um, and I think that that adds perhaps some plausibility to the view that they, they wanted to make sure that whatever else had already been done or had already been waived in the statute, they wanted to be sure that in any event, uh, they want to cancel it if it didn't arise under federal law or to uh, impose a, a state or uh, order or process of a state or local court. Um, I, th I think the history supports that uh, inference. <clears throat> the more general point I wanted to make was that the case really is about whether uh, there is a clear and unambiguous waiver of sovereign immunity in the statutes at issue here. Um, for uh, of, of money liability. Yes, of, of liability for, uh, for civil penalties of the sort that the state seeks here. I don't, I think in light of going, running through these statutes and seeing the difficulties of interpreting them, uh, the best you could say is that it's ambiguous. 
Now, Congress at this very, well, not this very moment, they're in recess, but they recently uh, enacted uh, amendments to the RICRA provision that's also an issue in this suit that would clearly and unambiguously waive sovereign immunity from civil penalties. They make it clear. Hmm? A big pardon? Those are clear. They, they, yes. Yeah. And as, as I've, at least the provisions as I've seen the most recent versions, they were passed uh, in different well, versions by the House. Been through a conference committee yet? Not yet. Yeah. <laughs> but so you're not promising that you won't be back. No, I, I can't. And we don't know what some other Solicitor General will say about that. No, we don't. Uh, if, if that becomes law. But uh, the point I'd like to make is one function of the rule requiring uh, waivers to be clear and unambiguous, especially when there's penal measures of this sort of issue, is to require Congress to go and look at the specific problems and the specific issues that arise uh, concerning, federal, concerning civil penalties against federal uh, facilities. And that's, uh, that's one of the functions of the rule, and that's one of the re- reasons the rule uh, makes a great deal of sense uh, applying in a case like this. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mr. Thelma. Thelma. <coughs> Excuse me, the case is submitted. The Honorable Court is now adjourned until tomorrow at 10 o'clock.